Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest in this episode of the podcast is writer and broadcaster James King, who joins me to talk about his new book, be more Keanu. Yes, listeners, you guessed it. I finally figured out a way to devote an entire episode of the podcast to Keanu Reeves. Thank goodness that James King, film reviewer, writer and broadcaster, has written an entire book about Mr. Reeves. And it's not necessarily what you might expect. I mean, yes, in many ways, it is a brilliant book about why Keanu Reeves is wonderful. And of course, that's a book I can get on board with. But do not be fooled into thinking this is just a love letter to Keanu and his films. It's actually a very funny, very insightful, and I would also say a really useful self-help book. And by that I mean, it puts one's own behaviour, thoughts and feelings into context via Keanu's own life, as well as those of the characters he's played on the silver screen. You might think you're getting a Keanu Reeves love-in, but you're actually getting the Tao of Keanu. And who knew, listeners, it's something that we all need. I sat down and read it. I think I, I read it in one sitting. I definitely read it in one sitting. And it was such a pleasure to read. And I had so many moments during when I was like, oh, oh, that's such a lovely way of putting that. Or oh, that's such a lovely way of thinking about that. And as you know, I've read and researched a lot of self-help books for this podcast. And this is one that really takes you by surprise and is actually quite touching, quite moving and very sweet. I really enjoyed reading it, which is why I wanted to ask James to be a guest on the show so that we could talk about it in more detail. Now, regular listeners will know that I'm a huge fan of films as well as of Keanu. And one of my favourite treats to myself is a solo trip to the cinema. So I also use this opportunity to quiz James about what it's like critiquing films for a living and interviewing A-list film stars, which he does, you know, as part of his day-to-day job. We did record this podcast over the internet and uh, it was also, I think, our second or third attempt at trying to get... um, get to each other via the internet for this conversation so please bear with any metal mickey voices or things that sound a bit um, crackly honestly we tried our best is all I can say all the links to Be More Keanu, James and the film reviews I mentioned during the show Sex and the City 2 and Entourage will be in the show notes which can be found wherever it is you are streaming and downloading this episode but without any further ado it's James King, author, film critic and broadcaster on The Emma Gunn Show 
James King, welcome to the Emma Gunn Show. What a delight to have you here. It's so lovely to be speaking to you. We've known each other a while. Um, we've chatted casually about <laughs> movies uh, in parties, in corners. We've snuck off and talked Marvel for <laughs> half an hour or so. Um, but we've never actually done it professionally. So uh, this is a first and I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, yeah, because you, you've gone and written a book about one of my favourite subjects. Um, yes, and Keanu Reeves. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to try and think of an amusing Emma's favourite <laughs> subject answer, but no, it's about Keanu Reeves. Um, and the thing is, on the surface of it, one could look at it and think, oh, it's a, a Be More Keanu. It's a book about a film star. But it so doesn't fit into any kind of template of anything that I've ever seen in this kind of vein before. Like, you look at the book and... For the listeners' benefits, I'm holding it up to James, even though I'm pretty sure you've seen it. And it's bright blue, pink and yellow. So you think, oh, nice, quick, fun. But actually, it's really deep. <laughs> well, I mean, thank you for that, because that's what I intended. On the back of the book, back of most books, they always put a category, um, which helps, obviously, people in bookshops to, to, to shelve it in the right section. And on the back of mine, it says humour. Um, which, uh, mm -hmm. I mean, hopefully there is some humour in it. I wanted there to be some humour in it, but I wouldn't necessarily class it as that. I suppose it's it's several different things. Um, and in a way, you could say this might be clutching at straws a little bit, uh, but that's also like Keanu Reeves, who's not someone you can easily categorise. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I definitely wanted some light-hearted stuff in there because I think that there's a very light-hearted and fun cult of Keanu Reeves online uh, we like his memes we like his gifs um, we like to talk about sad Keanu and all these kind of things and that's a lot of fun so it's got to be a fun book um, but also you know I, I genuinely think that he has a very interesting life and lifestyle and makes interesting career choices and says some very interesting things um, that do have a depth to them so I didn't want to to lose that and just be all you know silly and, and jokey i wanted it to actually uh have some depth too because you know he's a, he's a serious guy he's got a sense of humor you know we've got the new bill and ted movie coming out that that shows that he likes a laugh but at the same time he's thoughtful and um uh I, I, he always denies being intellectual but you know he certainly likes to to dabble and delve more than a lot of people do into philosophical questions so why not do the same in the book? So before we deep dive into the actual book, let's talk about why you're qualified to even to, to even broach the subject of Keanu, because you have an, a, a really wonderful a job, but you have a very... Well, you're a film critic, but I would say that there's probably more to it than that, because you've been doing it for a long time and you're very good at it. You're one of the best known names in the UK. Thank you. Yeah, I mean... Um... I suppose the I'm a film critic, so the film element of Be More Keanu, and of course, it, if you want to read a book about Keanu Reeves movies, it is absolutely that. If you just want it to be that, it can be that. Um, so having been a film critic for 20 odd years, you know, that's all in there. And, and I suppose that gives me the qualifications. But as a film critic, 
I'm also very interested in, I guess, um, mixing being a film journalist and film reviewer with slightly more, I suppose, emotional questions. You know, for example, here's the main problem I've always had being a film reviewer is that there's a lot of negativity involved in being a film reviewer because that ultimately that's what a lot of people ask of you. You're not there to sit on the fence. You are there to say this film is good or to help people make their choices. And um, I, I know a lot of people who are actually brilliant at, in a very witty and clever way, taking down movies, slagging off movies, but they do it in such a sort of fabulously entertaining way. It doesn't really feel negative. It just feels really clever. Um, I, I, I mm-hmm. don't think I can do that. I have a sort of thing where I feel guilty and bad if I really slate a movie. Of course, I slate, you know, I don't like everything. And of course, I'm critical of films in private, but I'm talking about on the radio, on the telly or, or in print. Um, and so I think actually I, I'm more interested in my strengths are more in celebrating films, celebrating the good films, spreading that word and using radio and the media as, as a way to, to, to spread that kind of positivity. Um, the people who can slate stuff are fabulous, but I'll let them do that. That's not my forte. Um, so I, with me, it's kind of like if I don't mention a film on Twitter or on the radio or on the telly, that's because I don't like it. So if you want to know what films I don't like, they're just the ones that I don't mention at all. And I find that's a better way <laughs> Rather than sort of wallowing in, in, in slagging off something, I find for me that's a better way of doing it. The ones I do talk about are the ones I want to celebrate. And certainly with Keanu Reeves as an actor and a lot of his films, um, he's someone that I want to talk about. He's someone that I want to celebrate and because I think that, that he deserves that. You review movies in a ve- there's a very similar pattern between the way that you remove, re- review movies and the way I review beauty products. In that... Not every beauty product will suit everybody, but every beauty product will suit someone. And I feel like my job is to pick out the thing so that the person who it will suit will be able to identify and then find that product. And like you, if I don't like a product, I won't talk about it. Yeah, I think, and and actually, I think it's good to not um, bog down, you know, the airwaves, bog down social media with sort of negative comments. There's plenty of them anyway. They don't need mine to, mm-hmm. add, to add to the mix. You know? <laughs> it's not like I, uh, if you want negativity, it's out there. You don't have to rely on me for it. Uh, but also I think it's good for me personally. You know, I know a lot of um, film journalists who seemed to love, perhaps ex-film journalists, because not everyone I who I'm thinking about is actually still working. Some have retired, but you know, they loved slagging a film off and they, I think they loved the power that it made them feel they had. Um, and I don't think that's good for your mental health. I, I genuinely don't. If, if you have that sort of passion for, <laughs> for just being bitchy, I don't think that could be good for you. Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, for me, like I said earlier, for me, it, it never felt easy. I tried it when I first started out doing this. when I was I was only like 22 years old. Uh, so really naive. And just the, the power that I suddenly felt I had was so amazing to me. And you think, brilliant, that can be like, really like bitchy and Simon Cowell kind of <laughs> nasty and it'll be fantastic. And he could, you know, Simon Cowell can do it in a way that makes my 
and other people I know can do it. I can't. I try it and I just sounds awful. <laughs> and I think that's because, you know, I don't, it's not me, you know, some things sit easily with some people, other things don't. And I just don't think that sits easily with me. So um, the whole negativity thing with film critics, even the word critic makes people think you're about to criticise. Um, that's, yeah. you know, I can do it. I've done it. But I've just had enough of that now. Now it's about celebrating. Can I be a film seller? celebrator maybe that sounds maybe that's a better word <laughs> doesn't have the same ring to it one of my favorite things at mark kermo's no. uh night at the bfi was um guilty pleasures where people would come on and talk about yeah. a film that they absolutely loved even though on the surface of it you perhaps shouldn't that was always one of my if not my favorite part of the whole evening well you see there's someone mark's a very old friend of mine there's someone who can do it brilliantly the kermodian rant I mean, it's genius. What? Why would I even try to to to, um, you know, do the same thing? Why would I try and compete with that? There's no point. He can do it. I can't. So you know, let him do his thing, and I'll do my thing. And they're very different. And Mark will take the mick out of me for being a bit kind of new age and hippy dippy, because <laughs> that's really not what he's like. Uh, but, but I think that's what's brilliant about it. He's got his forte. I've got my forte, and. Um, you know, I'm, I will happily listen to him slate a movie because he does it so wonderfully. But with me, it just sounds awful. Well, this is the thing. It's very intelligent when he does yeah. it. And listeners, for your benefit, in the show notes, I'm going to put the link to two YouTube videos. One is Mark Comode reviewing Sex and the City 2. And the Amazing. other is him reviewing Entourage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was sat next to him in both of those films, by the um, so I got little previews of the rants that was to come. In Entourage, didn't he look at you in the first 15 seconds and actually say something, which is like terrible code of conduct because you mustn't yes. speak during screenings. And I think he said something like, I'm going to hate yeah. this. No. Yeah, yeah, I hate all of these people or something <laughs> like this. You know, um, I think both of those both of those films, it, there was sort of a... Uh, I mean, Sex and the City is a bit more debatable. I think there is a bit more, not necessarily that movie, but Sex and the City as a as a whole, there's perhaps a little bit more to it than Entourage. But I think there's sort of a greed is good, capitalist, you know, I must have more, more stuff element about both of those films that just did not sit well with Mark and his more left-wing ways. Yeah, I think I think in one of them, I can't remember which uses the word poor sign, which I think is just... <laughs> And genius. I will watch those till I'm blue in the face, you know, and, and that that's someone who could do that stuff well. So what's the point, you know, in, in trying to be uh, in, in trying to be clever and do it yourself? You know, I'll I'll go for a different angle. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's. Uh, and of course, Mark can celebrate movies brilliantly, too. You know, he knows how to champion a good film. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, I think I've always been interested in sort of self-help books and that more therapeutic um side of movies and what they can you know how they can make you feel when you're watching them i've always been fascinated by um comfort films i think actually we did something did we chat about this on twitter once or or i think i might have asked you uh in an ask me anything that you did once uh what your favorite comfort film was and i think i think you might have said marts and marvel films or something but uh, sounds like something i would say uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I've always been fascinated by that, you know, the emotional reaction that, that we have to movies and why we go to certain films to make us feel good. 
And I think that Keanu Reeves, for example, has a lot of those kind of films. So you said there about self-help. And I think when I finished the book and I read it in one sitting and I and it was yeah. and it was perfect Sunday afternoon. It was like it just it got me at the right time. And I just sat there and I thoroughly enjoyed, I think, I don't know, hour, hour and a half or something. I just absolutely loved the experience of reading it. And I put it down. And I thought that was a really clever self-help book. It, with in just like Keanu Reeves as the disguise, it's like the Trojan horse of self-help, because actually, <laughs> it in really beautiful, clever ways shows you things that you'll be familiar with through the movies or through just thinking that Keanu Reeves is a really great-looking guy, which he obviously is, and you attach to it a really helpful, I don't know, way of looking at life or way of being whether it's with yourself or with other people your friends your colleagues and so I was thinking how on earth did James like how do you map that out from the beginning of like I think Keanu is a really interesting guy how can I dissect every facet of his life also intersection that with his movies and turn that into something that's really accessible and makes people feel at the end which I did listeners like yeah, I do want to be more like Keanu. I do want to be kinder. I do want to be more thoughtful. I do want to be compassionate. Like, these were all things that definitely registered. Yet, I also got to mm. enjoy some really good quotes from Bill and Ted. <laughs> yeah, I, well, originally when I was writing it, and this started about a year ago, so the summer of, of 2019, um, it was going to be film by film. So it wasn't going to be all of his films, but it was about a dozen of his films and it would be things like Bill and Ted, and that would be a chapter on friendship. And um, I can't remember, like, I think Speed was in there, and The Matrix was in there. Obviously, The Matrix was going to be a chapter about sort of uh, technology and postmodern, you know, philosophy and things like this, all the things that The Matrix delves into. And that kind of worked, but actually things much more than that. So you, you couldn't just put barriers around one film you know everything's to each other um so i suppose the answer to your question of how you then get to the chapters because at the moment or currently uh, the book that, that you can buy the chapters are more about his personality so keanu the friend keanu the fighter the lover the comedian all these kind of things um is that you just when you watch all the films you just start to see these themes reappear and um i, th I suppose that was a surprise for me because you know, not not every consistency in their in their catalogue, and you could watch all of their their movies and see umpteen different things, and not see things reappearing, not see consistent questions or concerns reappearing. But actually, I think you can in Keanu's movies. I think he's he's very careful what to do he's under no pressure to make anything and he turns things down and because he's in that situation he can choose things that relate very much to his pet concerns and his pet interests um like for example the, the there's there's questions about freedom freedom is such a key word in a lot of his movies i mean the matrix movies are all about the human race finding their freedom again but also john wick you know he's search his freedom again and uh, th that keeps cropping up you know characters who don't want to be uh tied down who don't want to be put in a box categorized who don't want to be 
um, imprisoned in some way. You know, I think that's that he thinks about his real life, famously kind of bohemian and, you know, likes to get off on his motorbike and travel around California and certainly not someone who's pinned down, you know, in any way. Uh, and I think that feeds through into his movies as well. You know, those are things that he likes to question in his movies. Um, I mean, the kind of relationships love uh, is, and, and, and how those relationships play out um, so often in these movies. He's questioning that. You know, he's famously had some, some troubled times and some troubled relationships. Um, and I think that he uses movies to work through some of his, his issues. They're therapeutic to him. OK, so you actually get to interview a lot of movie stars, Mm. do you feel as though I mean I know you sort of alluded to it earlier but do you feel as though sometimes you're just on a if you're an actor you're just fielding scripts and if you're in that zone where you're the person that everybody wants you just do whatever film you know your agent negotiates negotiates the best money for is there a difference between the kind of actor who actually does that and looks at the script and I don't know, approaches it in that way. Can you tell a complete difference? And do you think, if you speak to an actor, can are they even aware of it? Like, I have done this, these films in this series in this way because they meant something to me at that particular time in my life. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's obviously a small amount of Hollywood actors because most actors don't have that luxury. They do just need to do work to, to get paid. Um, and mm. Keanu Reeves is in a lucky position where he doesn't need to do that. Uh, it, it's 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 kind of annoying when you think about it. He's got so much money, and yet he famously says he doesn't even care about money. And you're like, well, that's that's lovely, Keanu, but that's because you made all that money from the Matrix, so you don't even have to think about money. Um, but you know, he doesn't. He doesn't need to. Uh, this is why he didn't do Speed Two, for example. You know, he would have got paid a fortune to make Speed Two. He just thought, well, it's rubbish. I want to go off and play with my bands and I want to do some Shakespeare on the stage. I don't want to do that. And I think that, even though that was a long time ago, that continues. He's still he's still that person who um, chooses things because they resonate with him rather than because he feels he has to do them. You know what really struck me about that story, because it's in the book, about how the studio were like, we're going to do Speed 2, it's going to be on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he kept saying no and they sent Sandra Bullock round to his house what really struck me about that and I think you pick up on it too in the book is the grace with which he declined and didn't burn any bridges because in Hollywood you can burn bridges quite easily I think like from yeah. things I've heard yeah. yeah yeah I mean he said that 20th Century Fox didn't want to hire him for a while and I think the next movie he made with them was The Day the Earth Stood Still which was a long time later but, um, you know, he's known for that politeness um, and that, that grace, uh, which he puts down. Actually, he puts it down to his uh, British heritage because his mum uh, was British. <laughs> so that's rather nice of him. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but, um, uh, you know, he's known for that um, and, has, you know, says, well, it, it's I, I want to treat people the way I would want to be treated um and that when you th when you read a lot of his quotes of course they're the simplest things in the world you just go well of course that's mm. just really simple that's just logical but of course they're not so easy to put into practice um but you know I spoke to 
people. I also obviously looked at archive interviews and, uh, and interviews with him, interviews with his hostiles and everything. And, you know, everyone says the same thing, that he does just have that that kindness, that understanding, that open-mindedness. Um, so even if he does turn down your movie, it's probably impossible to get annoyed with him. You know, I was listening to an interview with Jay Shetty yesterday, who's this... I don't know if you know who he is. He's got this yeah. massive following on social media. He was a monk. Yeah. And he was saying, nothing I'm saying is new. All of the real wisdom in the world has been out there for a while. It's just, it's kind of, it's that thing of you can hear something a thousand times and then one time you really sink in and you're like, oh, that's what it means. <laughs> yeah. That's what I quite like about Bill and Ted, actually, when they're hanging out with Socrates or Socrates, um, is that, you know... <laughs> It's it's a joke and it's funny and it, it's hilarious to see Socrates in 1980s California and it's hilarious to see Bill and Ted in ancient Greece. But actually at the heart of that, and it might be coincidence or it might be actually something that the writers really thought out, is that, you know, it makes sense what, what, what the Greek philosophers were saying thousands of years ago about friendship, about um knowledge about how life is transient all these kind of things it's still completely relevant and um i love the way that it brings the bill and ted brings those ancient thoughts and those philosophies hilariously to the modern world and makes you look at them all over again and go actually you know what that's kind of true now bill and ted you know i watched it as a kid you don't think about those things as a kid but the reason why it's lasted and the reason why we've got a sequel coming out 29 years after the last one is that actually it's not just for kids that movie it's not just a kids film and it does have some uh depth to that that's made it last there were lots of movies that came out in 1989 that no one ever wants a sequel for um <laughs> but uh bill and ted people have been desperate for a third movie you know because it does actually have some resonance um it's like the greatest film about friendship. I just think that there's something so wonderful, the innocence of Bill and Ted's friendship and, of course, the friendship of, of Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter as well. And also the way you're describing it makes me think about what they did with The Good Place recently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, go on. Just throwing up um, via, you know, a nice, bright, colourful TV show, actually throwing, like, some quite deep... Uh, theories and concepts at you and actually in some cases getting a board and actually drawing it for you so you can really put it all together yeah totally um and i think that uh that's something keanu has done in very weighty serious movies but it's so lovely to see him come back to comedy he's been edging this way for the last couple of years because um always be my maybe on netflix you know it was a cameo for him but obviously a comedy Toy Story 4 had its comedic elements. So it's, it, and he's even done a cameo in a SpongeBob SquarePants movie. So it felt like he's been wanting to get back <laughs> into comedy and to, you know, to tackle those big subjects that he tackled in The Matrix, but in a more lighthearted way. Um, and this new Bill and Ted film is, is obviously the, you know, the uh, perfect example of that. But that's a great way of getting people interested, isn't it? You know, we were interested in The Matrix and all that it asked and all that it questioned. Um, but by the third one, I mean, you know, my brain was fried. But uh, I think with Bill and Ted, it's sort of a much more approachable way of dealing with questions about time travel and questions about postmodernism and, and uh, questions about history. Uh, you can do it and have a laugh 
at the same time. Just before we sat down to talk, I had a delivery and it was one of those um, cardboard envelopes that's got like the, the zip, you know, the ones that you you rip open. And the first time I ever saw one of those yeah. was in The Matrix, where he gets the phone. <laughs> And so every time I open one of those envelopes, I'm just like, think I'm going to pull out a Nokia 38, whatever it was, um, because it just reminds me of that scene. It's amazing how all these things completely, I mean, for me, definitely, I'm, I really enjoy my movies. They embed in my brain and I look through my yeah. lens is completely defined by that. What was it that drew you? Was there a first movie that drew you to Keanu or was it the theme? No, the first movie was Point Break. Um, which that was also the first Keanu film. Emma is clutching her heart now, listeners. Um, that <laughs> it's was, in my top three. It's in my top three. Top three of all time or top three Keanu? Top three of all time. That was the first one I saw of his on the big screen. I think I'd seen Parenthood and Bill and Ted and things like that, but probably on on video, VHS. Anyone remember those? Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, Point was the first one on the big screen. And also it was quite a change for him because it was Keanu a bit more grown up um, and an action hero. You know, it wasn't him being the so much of the slacker. He's kind of the slacker, but, you know, not in the Bill and Ted mode anyway. So that was a real change to see him do a movie like that. And it really changed his career, actually, because then Speed and The Matrix and mm. all the famous action films, more famous action films really followed. Um, so that was the first one. But I, what I loved about that, and I still get, I probably get it even more now than I did when I was a kid watching it, is just this guy who is torn between two worlds, who is, I mean, he's, you know, early 20s. So he goes to work uh, as a cop and, you know, it's a very kind of straight laced. I've been through college. I know it all cop. Going to play by the rules. And then he's in time. Quarterback punk. Quarterback punk. And then enticed in this other this this world spirit we love this world of of extreme sports and surfing and, and and I love that the fact that you know he's he's torn which way do I go he you know he gets into their world gets into Bodhi's world to to try and infiltrate it but also falls in love with it um, it's kind mm -hmm. of hypnotized by him and the power they have and I just love that that tug that he had you know which way am I going to go um and uh I'm sure that that is something that uh, it's certainly something that I felt sort of post university when I went into a job for the first time and you're kind of like god you know six months ago I was just this kind of slacker student who would just party all the time and live this very free lifestyle and now I'm in a suit and tied in an office. And just that mm. clash, um, you can kind of see in, in Point Break. I think that's why it, why it resonates with me so much is that, um, you know, I still feel that sometimes. You still feel maybe I should just be living on a beach somewhere, not worrying about a proper job, you know, and just spend my time, you know, on the ocean. Uh, that's a very enticing uh, career move, isn't it? I don't know so much about the robbing banks element, but, you know, there's certainly something very uh, enticing about Bodhi's lifestyle in that movie. Yeah, but you, I mean, you mentioned something several times in the book, and each time I was like, I'm going to text him, I'm going to text him. <laughs> because I totally, like, for example, if we're talking about Top Gun, Maverick and Iceman, I get the yeah. homoerotic undertones. Yeah. 
But I didn't get it with yeah. uh, Johnny Utah and Bodie. And yet you obviously see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's I think it's I think it can be there if you want to read into it. You know, that's that's the joy of Point Break is that there are so many interpretations and the joy of any great film, really. You know, you can, it's not telling you to think one way or another. And it's not a film about it's not Brokeback Mountain. You know, it's not a film about two guys realizing they're gay and falling in love with each other. But I think that there are it's certainly a film about one man falling for another one. And that falling doesn't have to be sexual. It can just be I'm obsessed with you. I'm, you know, intoxicated by you uh, and your lifestyle and the what, things that you do and the things that you say. And that's certainly, I, I think, how Johnny Utah feels about Bodhi. Um, his eyes are opened. And of course, if you want to interpret that as something else, it's very much open to that interpretation. But you can just see it as as something very, um, very sort of innocent, I suppose, uh, which you're innocent, Emma, you see, that's the thing. <laughs> Well, no, I don't know. I just was like, James, I don't think him firing <laughs> shots into the air was anything in any way sexual. You can taste me in your mouth, whatever his line is, you know. I mean, there, there's little nods oh, yeah. in there, surely. There's little uh, little quips in there. But it's not overt, but it's. I think it's there if you want it to be. Yes, I mean, it, I think it's a really beautiful movie and it's one I can go back to time and time again, watch from start to finish and just feel yeah. as exhilarated as I did the first time I watched it. Oh, totally exhilarating, isn't it? You know, that's, and that's the whole thing I'm talking about with, with intoxication and, and obsession and everything. You, you can totally get why Johnny Utah wants to be in that world and wants to hang out with those people mm. because they, they have this exhilarating lifestyle, 100% pure adrenaline. Wasn't that the tagline? You know, <laughs> and you can sort of, you totally get get why he he um gets a kick out of being with them yeah but then okay i'm gonna tell you about something else i not took issue with but was like james we need to talk about this <laughs> dracula yeah you don't rate that performance <laughs> it's i think it's the thing about dracula i used to love it when i was a kid and i still think it's a beautiful film i mean it's so lush and rich to look at I I love Keanu because he said yes to it and he tries. This is what I love about him is I don't, he, he always, certainly in that era of Keanu, where I think he was trying out different genres, um, he, he really, you know, goes for it. And I appreciate that he thought, I, I guess he thought, look, I'm known for being a sort of slacker, so now I'm going to do a period piece based on a classic novel and I'm going to be in my Edwardian or Victorian outfit or whatever it is, Jonathan Harker. I just don't know if it was the right thing for him. But, you know, he tried it. And uh, yeah. that's that's good in my book. If we're talking about positivity, you know, that celebrating, I celebrate the fact that he wanted to to stretch his acting muscles. But I'm just not sure whether he he's entirely right for that role but it's always lovely to see him with Winona Ryder oh always always lovely but it, it brings me back to something you said earlier about you have read self-help books so you know your way around that particular mm. category and so it sort of makes sense that the book falls into that kind of niche but I think what you just said there about he was willing to try anything 
And mm. I was talking to someone the other day, and I'm interested about what you might think about this. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I mean, we're talking about the fact that for such a long time, we in our lives have tried not to make mistakes which meant that actually we didn't yeah. do things so in, instead of risking it and making a mistake and learning from it we stayed where we were and I wonder whether I mean you're nodding so I'm guessing that's the theme that you explored a little bit yeah this is what I've always liked about actors actors I think generally but certainly the actors that I like and whatever age, because Keanu was significantly younger than I am now when he was making Dracula, um, is that actors have, uh, I think, um, you know, just a laid back, anything goes approach. A lot of actors do to to their lives. And, you know, I, I, I always wished I could be more like that, I think. Um, and uh, now, you know, now I'm in my 40s, so I think I have got that. And I think I just needed to more time to get to that point a more life experience um but you know there are actors out there Keanu being one of them who were doing that kind of thing virtually as a teenager um and that's impressive you know to to go well I might make a mistake it might not work but you know what what is life unless you try all these things you're never going to know otherwise um I mean I suppose he probably led a bit more of a bohemian life than I did growing up and you certainly you look at you know your Ethan Hawkes and your River Phoenixes and all these contemporaries you know they, they had a very different lifestyle to me growing up in a village in Suffolk so um, <laughs> I think having that kind of uh, that kind of arty background probably helped them with that attitude um, but it's always been something that that I've looked up to um, and it's definitely something that I think you see in in, in actors who are willing to just experiment you know I like that and it sometimes as the film goer as the viewer it can be a bit frustrating you know like a scanner Dali, which was you know much more of an experimental movie um and he's done some real like low budget indie films still does um that aren't necessarily the easiest watch in the world but you know, this it's it's amazing that he's he's prepared to support those projects, and you know, go out on the limb a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and actually, I mean, you've obviously interviewed a lot of A-listers, and I mean, just for listeners to put, I mean, obviously, I'll put the links to James so you can go and look at his social media. But there is a video of you. It's not actually of you. It's of Charlize Theron. And she's mid-interview and you walk into the room and she's like, hi, James. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you, you do the circuit. You know, yeah. you know actors and actresses. And what you just said there about they're quite laid back is probably the last thing. If you'd said the minute on a clock, Emma, <laughs> qualities of an A-list actor, I wouldn't have come up with laid back in the 60s. Yeah, I don't think it's so much the A-listers, though. I think, um, I think it's, well... Maybe it's, I mean, I put that Keanu in that category as an A-lister. But, but what I think what I meant was 
that certainly that period that he comes from, the kind of Generation X slacker era that Keanu came from. Um, I think their whole thing was, hey, we're just kind of cool, hanging out. You know, we're in rock bands. We do some drugs. You know, we we kind of got. Uh, you know, we listen to. Uh, Nirvana and you know we're all very sort of um, laid back and cool and I think that's something that he had then and this was my era as well this was the era I was growing up so I think that's why I associate them the early 90s um, that's something that he had then I think that's something that he still has I mean Johnny Depp is probably another example now Johnny Depp is you know uh, maybe a little bit more controversial as a character but certainly that was the whole thing with him for a very long time is that uh, he's just Johnny Depp. You know, he's like a young Keith Richards, just smoking, having a glass of wine and just being very mellow and cool. Um, and I think that quality of Keanu and his contemporaries was always something I um, looked up to. And I think it's probably easier for a guy to be able to, to be like that. You know, I think Charlize Theron, who is very good friends with Keanu and has been in movies with him. Uh, and he's fabulous. I think she's amazing, Charlize Theron. But I just, uh, unfortunately, I don't think it's as easy for you to be an A-list actress and have that attitude. You know, at the moment, as we speak, Keanu has very long hair, kind of unshaven, you know, and he looks good because it's Keanu. But can you imagine, he looks like he's got out of bed. Can you imagine Charlize Theron <laughs> being allowed to look that laid back? Uh, or... or or anybody like that you know uh, so it's it's certainly unfair i think on on his female contemporaries the pressure that they have compared to the pressure that the guys have it's true a friend of mine did a social media post recently about um and it was about bridget jones and renee zellweger and how all of the emphasis yeah. on that was about how she'd put on weight and in the film she gets on the scales and she's nine stone and three quarters which is actually well i think I was definitely a woman who was damaged by that, and there are many other women. But the other yeah. one that she flagged up was all of the attention and focus that was put on Charlize for her physicality in Monster. And yet, yeah. in that scene in the bathroom where she turns to camera, she is not she is not some wreck. She is still in really quite good shape. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's you know there's the, the cliche of of people winning awards. For, I think she was great in Monster, by the way, and there's more to it than the way she looked. That's kind of what we're talking about, that it's not just the mm. way she looked. And in, in the promotion for Bombshell as well, which was the, the movie I talked to her about, the one that you referenced, you know, she was very keen to point out that it wasn't just about the prosthetics that she had to make mm. her look like that person. There was more to it. Um, so there's more to it, or there should always be more to it. But um, it is an obsession that the media has, an obsession. Actually, I think that the awards voters have, you know, oh, Charlize Theron looks a bit rough in this, in inverted commas. Um, <laughs> she's definitely going to win the award. Um, great performance. But, you know, there is there, and, and now, actually, I think now, you know, we've seen it on red carpets as well. Actually, the whole thing Ask me about more than the dress. You know, it's much more vocal than it used to be. And Charlize Theron is definitely someone who would say to you, he sat down in an interview with her and said, tell me about changing your look and the prosthetics and everything. She would go, well, I will, but let's also talk about the emotional depth here because there's a lot more to it. And um, thankfully, Nicole Kidman was another one when she did uh, the movie Destroyer. You know, she would talk about how she looked because she looked unlike Nicole Kidman. But she also wanted to talk about the actual acting process as well that, that, that fed into that. 
Um, and I think now we're in a place where actors are much more um, upfront about saying, look, just ask me about more than the way that I look. Mm. I'm also curious to ask you about how you watch movies. And I don't mean like ambient lighting and snacks. I mean, in the sense <laughs> of, um, I consider myself to be someone who love, like I really genuinely love a movie and going to the cinema by myself, which I haven't been able to do for six months, is, has been me missing out on like a, something I really treat myself to. But I have a few friends who are film critics, film reviewers, and they talk about the film that they saw that changed the way that they looked at movies that enabled them to be able to then become a reviewer. And I've never had that moment, which means that yeah. I don't think I've got any business reviewing movies because it, it would be, I don't want to look behind <laughs> the curtain. Like it's an enjoyment yeah. thing for me. Is there a different way of watching movies if you are reviewing them? Um it's probably something I thought a lot more about overthought actually at the start of my career, but I don't really think about it now. Um, and mm -hmm. the reason for that is because I just sit back and enjoy a movie. You know, a lot of when people say, Oh, can you actually just enjoy a film? It's like, well, of course, if I didn't enjoy films, I wouldn't be doing this job. That's, that's the whole point. I want to enjoy the film. Um, so I think ultimately all you're doing is hopefully enjoying the film as, as anybody would be but also just either in the back of your mind or on an actual old school notepad, just writing down why you enjoyed it and why you also think other people would enjoy it. You know, it's important to think about the audience and who you're speaking to um, and different outlets that, you know, I work for a lot of different outlets require I think, slight tweaks because they're different people listening or watching or reading um, so of course you, you know, you tailor things to, to, to the audience, but yeah, essentially I, I don't want to, I don't want to overthink it and think right now I'm in critic mode. If I watch a film and I think that that performance is particularly good or that bit of set design is amazing or that use of that song is brilliant, you know, just like you would think I'll write it down and I'll just tell people about it rather than just keep it to myself. I suppose that's the difference, isn't it? You know, we as film critics have a platform to express that, um, that, that enjoyment. Because I think when I go into a film, I go in with the willing suspension of disbelief. And so if I'm, you know, if the credits roll and I'm in outer space, I'm, I'm not going to question it. And so I'm just curious if yeah. in your job, actually you can't be as, uh, free you do have to actually question it a little bit um no i i i do try to i think willing suspension of disbelief is absolutely key i mean that's that's sort of the main the main thing you need to watch any film really isn't it and i do know some people mentioning no one's name my wife who um, <laughs> will just <laughs> you know will just question everything and you just go you have to just go with it it's a film you've got to just you know there are some obviously there are some questions and I know like Tenet has come out recently I think there are some oh. questions that are so big in that movie that are unanswered you can't not you can't ignore them but generally speaking I mean you could say well well i'm watching star wars why is one a wookie why is why is this robot or this android with this princess you know that of course you could question it <laughs> to the nth degree couldn't you um but you just go with it you have to just you know uh, roll with it a little bit and and if you don't have that um 
imagination, then uh, I, you know, I don't think you're in the right job to be a film critic. I mean, to be a film critic, you want to be told stories and you want to lose yourself in stories from all corners of the world, from all galaxies, from all eras. Now, let me ask you a predictable question. And I, you've met Keanu. Yeah. So you've got to, so as much as you have experienced and appreciated him via the medium of film, you've also been in his presence. So, so was that another trigger as to why you wrote this? Because actually what you saw and had deduced from his screen performances and from the things you'd heard about him matched with the man that you met, was that one of the reasons why the book sort of crystallised? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, definitely, I don't think it was one of the reasons I wanted to write the book, but definitely when I was writing the book and then thinking back to the times that I met him, and there's maybe been four occasions, three or four occasions, um, each one has been quite different. And each mood that I felt was, was you know, of that moment certainly fitted in with, with what I was writing. So, for example, the last time I interviewed him was for John Wick, three so last year and parabellum he, as he always is parabellum prepare for war um <laughs> as he always is he was lovely and polite as he always is but there was certainly a sort of um a quietness and a reticence about him at that point you know this is not a man in the tom hanks hugh jackman vein who loves mm. being interviewed and will be the showman you know you definitely got this is someone who is here because he wants to support his film but he's not the most comfortable mm -hmm. um then i interviewed him once for actually that film i mentioned earlier the day the earth stood still and he was in a very jokey mood and it was sort of jokey fun loving keanu and i interviewed him for one of the matrix films as well and there was um it was for um reloaded and you know there had been um an issue with uh and um, Aaliyah had been cast in it, the singer, and then she died tragically. And so, you know, what uh, that was replaced. And he was talking about that and started crying when he was talking about it. And, um, you know, it was, you just don't expect it because, you know, he's an A-list star. And, you know, I, I, it was sort of out there. It wasn't like it was a new, uh, you know, a thing he was revealing to the press for the first time, you know. Um, but it was I was so touched by just how um, personally he was affected by that. Um, so there was the sensitive side to him. So I guess, you know, having seen the sensitive side, the comical side, the, the quieter side, um, I just felt that I had seen different elements to his personality. Now, I've got to say, when you're interviewing someone, it's maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I mean, you can't in any way claim to know that person from those interviews. It is um, these junket situations are, are, are weird. Um, but, you know, at the same time, he, he had definitely given off certain vibes and different vibes each time I'd interviewed him. Do you, um, that's really interesting because there are certain people who just project energy into a room and if and often the energy that you hear assigned to a-listers in particular it's normally the negative one like if they're being a diva or if they're being <laughs> difficult and then you know the air turns cold or you know yeah. that kind of thing but it sounds like he's somebody who radiates and i don't know there are people who are radiators like they walk into him whether they mean to or not they do affect the balance do you think he's really acutely aware that he's able to do that and so he's actually very 
rather than putting a mask on it and doing, you know, the Tom Cruise thing of going onto every red carpet with a, a smile like sheet lightning, do you think he's just, I'm just going to be who I am today? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things you, you we want him to be. Um, it's kind of that, you know, I, I wrote in the book, I think, and certainly in the, the press I've done around the book, I've said the weirdest thing about this whole experience is that Keanu Reeves would hate to think he had a book written about him how to be more careful. <laughs> that reticence he would have is also why we love him. If he said, yeah, great, I've got a book written mm. about how to be more like me, then that wouldn't be Keanu. That wouldn't be right. You know, so um, it, it, uh, I think that he he is someone who, you know, just goes with whatever his mood is rather than saying, right, I'm going to always be on show. Sometimes he is, sometimes he isn't. But um, that honesty and that authenticity, authenticity is one of the first words I use in the book and it's key throughout the whole book. You know, what you get with him and, and, and people have confirmed this, this is not just my interpretation, um, is, you know, he is an authentic person. What you see is what you get. He's stuck to his guns. He's stuck to his principles. There's no kind of hidden agenda. There's no bullshit. And again, that's another reason why he's been loved for so long, because it is now a long time, 30 odd years, more than that. That um, uh, I think that's why he's had this longevity, because authentic things do last. It's another it's another reason to be more Keanu, isn't it? Don't get caught up in fame. Don't love your own yeah. press. Just be who you are. And he reminds me of when my friend Hannah got married a few years ago. She in her speech, she said, um, she described her husband and she said, I know that I can tether myself to you and will survive any storm. And the thing you get with Keanu from the book is he's obviously very, very grounded and very steady. Yeah, uh, which um, isn't necessarily how he was brought up. You know, he led uh, a, a childhood where he travelled quite a lot, moved around quite a lot in a single parent family. And, you know, that he's very close to his family now. Um, uh, certainly, you know, his mum and his sister. Um, but it's not the obvious kind of 2.4 children, nuclear, steady family. It wasn't that at all. But I think that's probably, and, and again, through, I would imagine, therapy and, and, and life experience, that's what's led him to be such a rock now and to led him to be so steady because that, that's not necessarily what he had when he was growing up. Um, I mean, in you know, it's it's been easy over the last few months to sort of talk about these crazy times and these strange times. And and actually, I'd finished the book by the time the coronavirus came out. But I was certainly the world wasn't a steady and happy, positive place even before the coronavirus. Um, and part of the reason I wanted to write it is that he has this sort of watching all of his films, his back catalogue again, as I did there is this steadying thing about him when you watch him because there is a he has this presence that even though it's played lots of different characters is kind it's sort of always there in whatever film he makes there's always an element of keanu-ness about him <laughs> in whatever role he takes on and it has been there since the late 80s and you kind of think well okay the world is in turmoil and is ever changing and we never know quite know what's around the corner but we do know that Keanu will always be Keanu and that, that he is this steadying figure uh, in this crazy world. Did you, were you able to uncover anything 
that he has used to be grounded. I know one of the things you mentioned, I've forgotten the name of it, but it's the fact that he won't, if he's having his picture taken with a woman, he doesn't instinctively put his hand in the small of their back or around their waist as a lot of people do. Did you ever, were you ever able to pick up from your sources where he's got all of this from? Well, I think certainly um, in his, his 20s when he was making films like Little Buddha, which led him to investigate Buddhism, not to become a Buddhist, but certainly to open his mind to those kind of things. And, and actually the philosophical and religious questions that The Matrix raises, you know, he investigated them and, and read about them as the Wachowskis, the filmmakers behind it, wanted him to do. And so all of these reading has been a big thing for him um, and, and all of these big questions that, uh, that his films deal with, he has investigated in some way and done the research for. Um, so, and what's quite funny is that he will say, and there are quotes from him saying, look, I'm not, I'm not an intellectual. I'm just a jock. I'm just a, you know, meathead, you know, cause he loves his ice hockey and the action movies and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think, I think that's him. I think that's him doing his Keanu thing of not wanting in any way to big himself up and just to be modest the whole time. You know, there is definitely a searcher in there, definitely someone who is, who is looking for answers and looking for um, ways to keep grounded. I mean, certainly staying off social media has helped him do that. Um, That's a rarity. Uh, And what's funny is that he is a social media phenomenon, but isn't even on social media. He's probably more of a social media (laughs) phenomenon by not being on there. Um, uh, And that, that has got to, uh, I think, keep you grounded. I mean, if you wake up every day and you look on Instagram and you've got, you know, 10 million followers and, or people tweeting you, telling you how wonderful you are. I mean, that's got to play with your head, hasn't it? Um, But he doesn't have that. And you mentioned something there, a great quality that I think we can sometimes forget about is being inquisitive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, I heard uh, an interview the other day where it was actually um, discovered that that people who continue to be inquisitive and ask questions and ask, uh, keep their minds open, I guess you'd say, there's actually a, a... health benefits for that you know it can help you to live longer and certainly to stave off um the some of the um things that you would associate with growing older maybe sort of losing some of your your you know brain strength and brain power it can stay inquisitive questioning constantly is good for you um and uh i think that's i think that gets more difficult as you get older because you start to think you found the answers, don't you? You start to think, well, I, that was me when I was a teenager, when I was looking for who I was, but now I know who I am, so I don't need to constantly ask those things. And in, I'm always saying to myself, because I look at elderly relatives who sort of struggle with the modern world and struggle with modern concepts and technology and new ideas, and I'm always saying to myself, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be... 75 years old and go how do you use this newfangled internet thing i don't understand it you know (laughs) why are they saying oh they should be called actors instead of actresses i don't get all this and i just thinking oh god i really (laughs) i really don't want to be that you know maybe it's inevitable maybe keanu reeves will be like that in 20 years time i don't know but um i hope it's not inevitable and i think that having that open mind and that inquisitive nature and always thinking 
and actually thinking, well, not, oh, bloody 16-year-olds, what do they know? Why are they protesting about the climate? Actually saying, you know, what? I'm going to listen to them and I'm going to think that maybe they do know what they're talking about. Um, mm. Easier said than done. I can't claim that I'm going to be able to do it, but that's certainly what I hope to do. And that's an element that I think that Keanu Reeves has, which is uh, that, you know, that open-mindedness to, to new ideas and not wanting to close any any things off um, because you know who wants to be that live that kind of small life it's a really good point because I think as you say as you get a little bit older you can feel like you found your groove but actually what you perhaps don't realize mm. you're doing is shutting out other information that could be useful yeah and things change you know there's things that you, you can't be stuck and, and just look to the past you have to realise that things are constantly changing. That's really the only mm. thing we can rely on, is that things are going to change, that your life is yeah. going to change. Um, and so you have to be malleable to that. And what's good about Keanu Reeves is that he does have, like I said, that Keanu-ness that is always there, that is something to rely on. But, and this is one thing that actually um, Charlize Theron said when I spoke to her about him in, in that interview that you mentioned. You know, she said... He's all, he is the, you know what you're going to get with him. I've known him a long time and he hasn't changed. But at the same time, of course, he's opened his mind. He's grown up. He's changed in the right ways. So it's that good balance of kind of hanging on to the essence of who you are, but at the same time being open to new ideas. So, I mean, I think it would be too twee to say it's a love letter to Keanu Reeves, which is kind of what I was expecting <laughs> when I started reading it. It is, I, I came away thinking this is the smartest self-help book I've ever read because there are so many principles in here. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's a spoonful of sugar, as I called it at the beginning. It's um, Trojan Horse. Yeah, yeah. But you talk about him as a guru, as a gentleman, as a fighter, as a friend, as a rock star, as a lover, as a pioneer, yeah. as a comedian. Is there one thing about Keanu that you discovered or that you appreciated whilst writing the book that you think is the thing that really impacted you most, really left a mark on you? Um, I think the, the kindness element, and this is kind of what brought him back into the spotlight in the last couple of years as the Internet's boyfriend, as he became known, <laughs> because people started to talk about incidents they'd had with Keanu Reeves, where he'd been very kind or polite, random acts of kindness, done nice things, things that he was never looking for, um, uh, thanks for, you know, it's not like he was asking to be in the spotlight, but people had put into the spotlight. Um, so that, that kindness element, I think is, is probably, if you're going to boil down the one thing, uh, that being more Keanu means, um, I would certainly put that politeness, that respect, that kindness. Um, but also, you know, the thing that that, that I kind of knew about because that had been out there. I think the thing that surprised me when I was writing it, which was at the time of Toy Story 4 coming out, which was at the time of Always Be My Maybe coming out on Netflix, is seeing the comedic side to him, the funny side to him. And it's something that we hadn't seen for a long time. And there'd been a lot about sad Keanu and, oh, the troubles he'd been through and all of those things, which are absolutely true and valid. But I wanted to also remind people that he's really funny. <laughs> and that's what made his name. He was funny in Bill and Ted and Parenthood and those things. That's that's the initial reason why we loved him. And I think he's bringing that back now all these years later. And that's a really good quality to have. One of the first bits of research I did was about 
the importance of self-deprecation, the importance of being aware of who you are and being able to take the mick out of yourself and what that says about you. It was an article about how great leaders can do that. And I think we all know that there are several leaders of the world right now who aren't able to do that. Um, but, but it's a really important trait in terms of your, um, your, your um, you know, intelligence, your mm-hmm. emotional intelligence. Um, and we saw that last year with him. You know, it was him just lightening up and saying, I, I know that I have cult around me. And I know that you all think I just say, whoa, the whole time. <laughs> and I'm going to take the mick out of that. And I'm going to have a laugh with it. And that was such a lovely, joyful thing to see. Mm, so much so. Right. This has been so joyful. You know what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to go and watch Point Break. <laughs> Why not? I mean, that's an average night in the Ember's house, isn't it? <laughs> yeah yeah that or a terminator movie well i say a terminator movie i mean terminator 2 judgment day (laughs) of course yeah yeah there's only two terminator movies really aren't there the first one and the second one yeah exactly and i will this is a hill i will die on if you go and watch terminator 2 judgment day for the first time today in 2020 it has not dated it has not aged maybe there's a mobile phone in there that looks a bit janky but other than that Oh my goodness, that movie is incredible. You know, I watched that, and of course this is all the same time as I was watching Point Break and things like that. Uh, But, you know, I was getting into my kind of snotty, I'm going to be a film studies (laughs) student. I'm just thinking Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's all dumb stuff, you know. And I mean, obviously I was a kid. I didn't, it's not like I was reviewing that film anywhere outside of my own bedroom. But I just always think, oh, just what was I talking about? And Terminator 2 is an absolute masterpiece. It's one of my favourite films of all time. Why was I so snotty as a kid thinking I knew better? And I, um, So, uh, yeah, we're talking about change and being open to change. Well, I certainly uh, changed my opinion of um, Arnold Schwarzenegger generally, actually, but specifically with Terminator 2 uh, over the years. What a movie. Have, have you read his book, Total Recall? <laughs> I love that. I bet someone in the in the publisher just went through all of his films, thinking, right, what can we call this? Twins? No. Uh, Terminator? No. Oh, Total Recall, of course. It makes perfect sense. It's a memoir. Um, I have not read it. No. James, it's a strong recommend from me. And if you don't it come really out of that, it? if you don't come out of that having a similar but different appreciation of Arnold in the way that you do of Keanu, then I'd be really surprised. Very, very yeah. different approaches to life. I mean, the thing about Arnold that I like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's very different and I'm sure his outlook and his politics are, are different to Keanu's. But I do like that he's achieved so much. You know, you cannot put down what that guy has, has come mm-hmm. from and what, where he is now. Um, you know, that is dedication and focus. It's like Dwayne Johnson, you know. I mean, Dwayne shows it on his Instagram, getting up at four o'clock or whatever and everything he does. They're not there by accident. They are there through utter dedication and focus. And that is amazing. It's true. Listeners, I'm sure you can tell that this could easily turn into a massive geek fest now about The Rock, <laughs> about Arnold Schwarzenegger and Keanu Reeves. So I'm going to end it there. But obviously, <laughs> I am going to be putting the links to the book Be More Keanu in the show notes which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this. But James, I could talk to you 
four hours at any time on a moment's notice about film. So thank you so much. It's been such a joy. Oh, great to see you again. Um, thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for listening. I do hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast. If you want to get in touch with me, and I really hope you do, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or if you feel more inclined, why not drop me a DM on social media? I'm at Emma Guns on Twitter and Instagram and I love hearing from you. If you're thinking, I'd quite like to chat to you, Emma, but I actually want to know what other people who listened to this episode thought of the show, go to the link in the show notes and click to join the Facebook group. It's closed. You have to answer a couple of questions and agree to the rules before you're allowed in. But boy, oh boy, are we having a lot of fun over there. And quite frankly, we'd like to see you there too. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.